Hello, everybody. Welcome to the first ever podcast, first ever episode of the One Pod to Rule Them All podcast. My name is CJ Yuri. I'm here with Jacob Brown, my good friend from college. Um, you know, the purpose of this podcast here is to just enjoy what we have in Middle Earth and Lord of the Rings and also to preview the upcoming show and then, you know, get this podcast going leading into the TV show. Then we'll do weekly episodes. Uh, we'll do informational things. Um, but for today, um, to start, I want to introduce my friend here, Jacob Brown. Um, he is a guy who is a fan of Lord of the Rings. He's a fan of The Hobbit. and He's a fan of all things Middle Earth, but he definitely needs a guide through this vast world. So, um, you know, everybody who's listening will also get the perspective of somebody that, you know, might not be a diehard fan and that can learn on the show. So Jacob, thanks for joining me today. Hey, dude, this is awesome. I mean, I'm just going to say we do the sports thing together. This is far from that. We're going to be talking dwarves, elves, wizards. I'm all here for it. It's going to be dope, dude. Uh, this show is going to be awesome. And I'd reclassify that, by the way, in terms of diehard fan. I mean, I love the movies. I read The Hobbit book as the kid. What I don't know is the deep lore, the stuff that they're going to be going into in this Amazon show, the stuff that was in the Lord of the Rings books. That's the stuff I'm ready to dive into because this is such a deep lore. And uh, like, I'm really passionate, like Marvel, DC, Star Wars. We talk about that stuff all the time. And I know a lot about those franchises and I'm looking for something else to dive into. And this is going to be the perfect thing. Yeah, I mean, there's no better time to do it, especially with the, you know, the TV show coming up. I mean, you know, for me, uh, like, you know, the, the, the Lord of the Rings movies came out way early into my life but i watched them yeah. at a very early age and was attached to them very early on and then i had to wait a long time for the hobbit movies and then we haven't gotten anything since it's been about 10 years since the last time we got anything uh, i didn't on think screen. it was that long that's crazy been a long time but those movies they look amazing right yeah. and you know this is a perfect time to, to to start off with our first topic on on the podcast is the good and the bad of the last thing middle earth related that we saw on television and in the big in, in the movie theaters the hobbit the oh the hobbit the 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 controversial hobbit movies um making up elf characters who are falling in love with key <laughs> dwarf characters and it's just you know, so many Tolkien traditionalists were upset. And to be honest with you, there were a couple of things that I was like, you know, what, what in the world's going on here? But whatever, whenever somebody's asked me about the Hobbit, like, you know, like, hey, what did you think of the, the Hobbit movies? I always say, no matter what, I was blessed to be able to see a part of Middle Earth that you just don't see in the Lord of the Rings. Like, you don't see Mirkwood and the elves in, in the Woodland Realm. You don't see Erebor in the movies, you know, in, in Lord of the Rings at all. They actually don't even make much of a, you know, note of them at all. Like, you don't hear, you know, Gimli talk about where he's from or his father or, you know, you, you don't. You, and, you know, there's a whole part of the Fellowship of the Ring um, in the book where Gimli's father, Gloin, talks to Frodo uh, right before the Council of Elrond and is, you know, talking to him about, you know, what we've been up to in Erebor, you know, the, the advancements we've made and, and getting our city back up to what it was before Smaug the dragon destroyed it. You know, Tolkien put those things in the book for the reader because, you know, in the 1900s, right, people read 
the hobbit before lord of the rings and then we as the viewers saw it lord of the rings then the hobbit so people had already known you know what erebor was and whatever and then you know they got to kind of get a little sliver of it in the books and get a little throwback but i'm just i'm, I'm happy that i got to see that portion of middle earth and i find that portion of middle earth to be really really beautiful i thought peter jackson did a great job with it but the big but he deviated a lot away from you know the the real action or i don't even know what the term was for it you know source real material orcs. yeah like no but no yeah. real orcs with, with costumes and the, the crazy makeup and you know it, like when when i watched like i was talking to my mom about this last night which is funny i was talking to my mom i was like you know when, when we she was like you know when when we watched lord of the rings when you were growing up those orcs looked so real and you thought that they were so real because they did they looked so real and I was a little sad that, you know, those Hobbit movies went straight to CGI. And I know that you like those movies because they're a little bit newer and, and you're and you're a little bit, you know, not fully new, but newer into this. Uh, what did you think of The Hobbit after, you know, the, those movies after reading the book? Um, yeah, they cut a lot out of the book. I mean, not not a lot, but there was some stuff in the book that I remember going to see the movies uh, where I was waiting for certain parts in the book. And I remember going, oh. That, that's not in there that's weird or oh they did something different there uh but i did enjoy it i mean the cgi was not i enjoyed it more for the callbacks to the lord or the not callbacks necessarily but the foreshadowing for the lord of the rings trilogy uh i really like that in parts of the hobbit trilogy um martin freeman's okay as bilbo like he he's good i don't think he's amazing as uh, as bilbo but it was great to get gandalf in there i always loved the thorn character uh, in the book and the movie. I thought he was a little misrepresented in the movie as well. Um, but the CG is good. Uh, but I, I'm with you, though. I mean, Listen, the, the, the original trilogy is, I mean, the Lord of the Rings trilogy is what it is. I mean, that that is the hallmark of the franchise so far. So I always like those movies better. They dove into the material more, even though they even cut out a lot of that trilogy, too. But stuff that could be cut out, you know, not, not a lot of people are complaining too hard about the stuff that they cut out of the lord of the rings trilogy um but anyway i like the hobbit trilogy the, the but my key point that i was originally going to make about it is i think it suffered from being a trilogy and i think it suffered that we had to wait a year in between everything that happened because it almost took the suspense away from it because having read the book so recently it's like i know what ha happens i would have loved to have just seen it in one movie and when I recently rewatched that trilogy, I was like, oh, this is much more enjoyable when you can just go back to back to back. And it's this long, like six, seven, eight, whatever hour long journey it is, uh, you know, with the three movies combined. So um, that's yeah, those are my overall thoughts about the uh, the Hobbit trilogy, though. Well, I actually think that they needed to be split up into multiple movies. Now, whether it needed to be split up into two or three is up for debate. I think two would have been fair. Yeah, I find that the time skips when, when tolkien tolkien writes out you know the, he he illustrates this massive map of, of middle earth and the mountains and the, the map looks gorgeous like like i'm gonna end up having one framed in whatever my at-home office ends up being right because i think it's really i think it's really cool but you know the way he writes things and and what it, it for the reader when you look at the map and and then you watch some of the movies like for them to just like in the hobbit they move they get to the mountain like very fast yeah 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 right and and from the shire to erebor that proximity is very similar from the shire to mordor 
right? Oh, yeah. And Didn't know that. That took it. Took, it's. I mean, there were both both groups faced. You know, like the like the dwarves trying to to reclaim. You know, Erebor, um, and Frodo and the Fellowship of the Ring trying to destroy the Ring. They they obviously both groups go under you know a ton of trials and tribulations. But I guess what I'm saying is is what Peter Jackson is really good about is is showing you that it's a very long journey. Right, like at the very beginning of the uh, second movie of the Hobbit, the Desolation of Smog, there is a thing that pops up on the on the screen. It says like you know eight months later, or or you know nine months later, and that was signifying because that you know from the books, like it takes a long time to walk on foot from this place to the other place and go over rough terrain mountains get stopped by orcs you're being hunted by orcs it's not something that you just get there in a couple chapters right right so i i actually i i like the way that it was kind of mapped out in three movies i just think that if peter jackson stuck to his guns with the costumes and the live action orcs taking away the cgi um, I like Evangeline Lilly as an elf. That's totally fine if you want to include some, you know, Captain of the Guard Tariel into the movies. But the fact that she's, you know, having a love affair with, you know, um, Feely or Keely, gosh. Yeah, it was weird, man. It, it, yeah, like that, like, you know. But anyway, the reason why we're bringing this up is because when we watched that Lord of the Rings on Prime trailer on, on the Super Bowl, there was a ton of people freaking out about the CGI, which is people were freaking out about the CGI during the Hobbit too. Right. And rightfully so. I understand that Lord of the Rings did such an unbelievable job of creating this world. And it didn't even look like it was computer generated. It looked like it was real. Like it looked like a place in the world that you can go. So I understand that, but I think people, you know, that, you know, we're going to segue into this, you know, now we're at Lord of the Rings on prime. Um, I think people are going to need to get real used to CGI. Like you gotta, you're, you're gonna need to get real used to this. Like, where where Gilgalad was standing in. Now I'm kind of jumping the gun here, but where Gilgalad was standing in Lord of the Rings on Prime on Prime um, trailer, folks. I mean, obviously you know this, but that that's not that's not a real place. Like they're like that's just that's there's not a place in New Zealand that they were just standing there like that was a full blown set inside of a room and they you know and people just got to get used to that and obviously Rivendell wasn't like that or anything you know but they made that thing look real they made it look real and and you know maybe the CGI ruins it and whatnot but um, before I dive into my Lord of the Rings on Prime premise. Um, Jacob, what are some things that you know about the second age of Lord of the Rings? Um, and you, I guess we'll go from there. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's good too, that, you know, I don't know a lot cause I think there's going to be a lot of fans that don't know a lot and we're open to all those people. And I think I might end up being their, uh, their voice in a way. Uh, but really all I know is that Sauron is still in human form at this time. I know that there's 20 rings of power, not just the one, um, and they're split up across all these different places. I don't know the outcome. I don't know very many characters. Uh, I know that there's a few from the original movies that are in this um, because there's only very few characters that are alive, Galadriel and Elrond, um, obviously being played by different actors. And it's a thousand years, a thousand years, I believe, before. Uh, so that's my way general... more, way more than that. Wow. So even more we'll put it this way, like, like, here's another here's a t here's a learning moment. 
the third age, let's, let's say the end of the third age was basically, you know, like here, I, I can give you a number right now, actually. Um, so a real number of the ending of the third age was uh, 3019, year 3019. So the third age has gone 3019 years into its age. And the war of the last alliance and Isildur cutting the ring from Sauron's finger was 3,019 years ago. Let's just put it that way. So okay. it's not even okay. just a thousand. There's a ton of stuff that goes on. But anyway, continue. No, yeah. So that, that's like my basic premise about it. I really don't know much beyond uh, the fact that Gal Galadriel and Elrond are in it. I'm not familiar with many of the other characters that are in there. Um, I, I want to learn about all of them. I know uh, Morgoth. I know you were texting me about Morgoth, and that sounds dope. Um, but as for what you were saying about the CGI, uh, listen, this show has a billion-dollar budget. Uh, they need to do something to justify that budget, and what are you going to spend it on? It's going to be CGI. So it better be good. If you have the biggest budget for any TV show and you're going to use the CGI, it better be good because nothing's ever had the budget that this show has had. So uh, the trailer may be a little suspect at that, but it's a trailer. Like th these, these shows it's right now it's February Spider-Man no way home. For example, it was still undergoing VFX changes while it was in theaters. Like there were new copies of it being sent out because they still weren't done with the VFX. So this stuff takes a long time. I'm not going to judge that stuff until we get to September 2nd when this show comes out. But yeah, I mean, CJ, I want to hear your premise now because I want to hear uh, the deets about this show. All right. So the premise of the Lord of the Rings on Prime is it's all about the second age, the forging of the rings. So, you know, nine were given to men, seven were given to dwarves, three were given to the elves. And it's entirely about the second age in those events. And there are a ton of things that happen. Sauron deceiving the elves in, you know, in Celebrimbor and, you know, that, that, uh, clan of jewel of jewel smiths that they had the gwaith e murdine so basically um that was a city in, in an area of middle earth that is no longer um populated by the lord of the rings movies they actually passed those ruins in the books but those ruins are thousands upon thousands of years old um and then you know it's you know it's also about numenor and Aragorn's ancestors and the island kingdom of Numenor uh, and, and the race of, of, you know, the men of Numenor. So that's, that's also something that I've always wanted to see on screen. Um, and it's, it's just about Sauron deceiving the free peoples of Middle Earth into giving them these toxic rings um, that instill greed and, and violence amongst the dwarves. And it turns the men into ring wraiths and only the three elvish rings were actually pure made purely um and and were actually able to be used for good and didn't drive any of them mad um so really that that's what the show is about lord of the rings on prime is all about sauron deceiving you know the free peoples of middle earth um what happened to numenor which is sauron deceiving the men of numenor and their island being literally sunk uh into the into the ocean and only you know a surviving clan or two from numenor well i saw I, I i don't know if i'm correct uh but it's kind of he was alluding Tolkien, at least, was alluding to Atlantis 
with that or am I wrong? Or was that something that was correct? No, no, you're totally correct. I wouldn't say it's as as much of Atlantis as you see on TV, like, like, like mainstream TV where it's like the Bahamas or something like that. (laughs) Uh, It's, it's just an, it's just an Island that is, you know, in the, you know, just off the coast of, of middle earth um, that I guess just looks like a slice of middle earth was, was put over there. Um, And, you know, there's mountains and whatnot on it, but it's just a paradise for, for men to live and thrive uh and and you know they were awarded a long lifespan as well i mean the king's line live up to about 400 500 years old and you know the normal people live you know the normal commoners on the island live from you know 250 to 350 years old so that was all for their deeds in the first age um for for helping the elves defeat morgoth and and the gods so you know there are going to be a ton of really cool things shown on on TV. And then again, there's going to be a couple of characters that actually aren't yet established yet. You're going to see an Elrond who is serving, you know, not, a, I shouldn't say a master, but is, you know, is, is serving his, his Lord uh, Gilgalad who, who dies in, in the war of the last Alliance uh, again, you know, war of the last Alliance of elves and men when they march on, on Mordor. So you'll see that. Um, and then Galadriel at this time, uh, Tolkien had described her as, of Amazon warrior spirit and, and, and stature, almost like a wonder woman type thing. Um, so she is, you know, more of a warrior instead of like, you know, this glowing princess that you see in the third age uh, with her ring. She doesn't even have her ring yet um, from the elves. So yeah. So the Lord of the Rings on prime, that's the premise really. And, you know, something else that you're going to be able to see, you're going to see, you're, you're going to see Kaza doom Moria, the, the, the dwarvish stronghold and city, like, you're going to actually see it inhabited and not, you know, a, a dark pit from, from the Lord of the Rings. One of the most insane scenes from the fellowship of the ring is them going through and seeing those crazy halls before the Balrog yeah. comes out. Um, but so you're going to see that and you're going to see those dwarves and whatnot. Like I'm so excited to see all those things. I'm so excited to see the landscape at this time and see those characters and see Celebrimbor and whatnot and see Numenor. Um, but yeah, the premise of it, Sauron deceiving everybody, waging war, um, becoming do, almost, you know, just almost as powerful as Morgoth with that ring. And, you know, how are the people going to get through this? Like the war in Middle Earth is like just as bad, if not way worse at, in this time period than it is in Lord of the Rings. And those Lord yeah. of the Rings, those battles, those epic, epic battles in, in Lord of the Rings, like, they might get dwarfed by the battles in this TV show. Cause if you oh, even, yeah. if you read online, if you read the books, those battles are insane. I mean, just, just for, for example, the war of the elves, the, the war of the last Alliance of elves and men is not even the only war in that's going to be covered in the series. Cause they're, you're going to have to see the war of the, just the elves and Sauron because Jeez. the war of elves and Sa- the elves and Sauron is literally them assailing Sauron for killing Celebrimbor and, and, you know, after Celebrimbor tried to take away the rings from Sauron and they laid waste to, to the Elvish cities and whatnot. So you're going to see that before you see any of the other stuff. And here's another thing, something that we're going to get to see in the show from second age year three, 3,429 to the second age, 3,441. So that is 12 years the elves and men sieged Mordor for 12 years. Yo. For 12 years. Yo. So that's some, 
right? Like it's going to be wild. Like Sauron comes from his tower to face them like in physical form. Yeah. We never saw that at all. Yeah. You don't see that in Lord of the Rings because he's just a spirit at this point. And then, you know, so that's, that is the premise. Those are some of the things that we're going to get to see uh, amongst other things. I mean, I can go on and on, which we'll cover some more things later on, but yeah. So that, you know, that's what we're going to see. So now we're going to dive into the actual trailer of what we saw. So on the Super Bowl, uh, we got the trailer. It was about a minute, maybe a little bit longer, um, long. And some things that we saw, we got teased what the island of Numenor is going to look like. We saw um, either Prince or King. I'm pretty sure it's the Prince, Prince Durin uh, of the of Casa Doom was smashing a rock. We saw Gilgalad uh, in his um, in Lindon. Uh, and with his elves and, you know, what looked to be a really gorgeous setting, you know, yellow and orange leaves all around and, and, you know, gorgeous, you know, elf robes and whatnot. Um, you saw Galadriel trying to climb up an ice cliff. Uh, it was all narrated by these Harfoot, you know, Hobbit ancestors, um, one of those characters. And, you know, you saw one of the meteors go through the sky, which, you know, that's, that's apparently is going to be a character, by the way. Whoa. That's a character that falls from the sky and it's supposed to, it's supposed to make sense. And it's supposed, the actual character is supposed to be in the lore. It's not a made up character. So that'll be cool. Um, so yeah, so we saw all those things and then we saw some characters that, you know, were not involved in uh, they were not involved in the books and I don't have a problem with them. And I'm just going to say this now. I don't have a problem with them. Uh, we saw, a um, person of color as a dwarvish queen um, singing. I think from what I've read online, I think that that character is actually going to make sense. Um, And she looked really good. Like, like her costume and everything. I was like, yeah, like I'm sold. Like that doesn't look like it's out of place. Like that, like this looks like it meshes really. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to see what this character is. And we don't even know, you know, there's like multiple clans of dwarves that you never see or rarely hear of in the books from the east in these things called the Red Mountains, the Orocarni, which they have fortresses and strongholds there. Who knows what those dwarves look like? I don't know, but (laughs) she looks great. She might be somebody from there. I don't know, but we're we're gonna find out. And then there is a um Ismael Cruz Cordova is um, playing a an elf. He is the first um, person of color to play an elf in any of these TV shows. And is, um, you know, I, I don't know if, I don't think a person of color was ever mentioned by Tolkien as an elf, but, you know, we're here and it's happening. So we got to see some of those characters um, and those are made purely for the show. Those two are made for the show. Um, but what we do know from a few Vanity Fair articles is, um, some people from Vanity Fair were able to, um, interview the directors before the trailer and after the trailer. And the person from Vanity Fair, I'm forgetting her name, um, has confirmed multiple times that the actual core lore and the core characters have not been played with, um, and have, you know, the core things, those, those core themes from, from, second age and the real lore that establishes what the third age is about is not going to change which is very refreshing and very good so jacob you watched the lord of the rings on prime trailer we've been waiting five years for this since the announcing of this announcement that this show is going to be made in 2017 five years 
Um, what did you think? I mean, I, I personally, I was hyped for it initially when I saw it. Uh, I love the vibe that it was giving off. But then when I kind of went on social media afterwards, I kind of saw this kind of collective meh feeling towards it. I texted you. Uh, you said it was, you know, your initial reaction. I know you've amended it a little bit. Uh, was that it was awful. And so I'm like, oh, what? like, was it really bad? And then I realized like on second watch, oh yeah, they kind of don't, for for normie's sake, because I was at a party with people that really have never seen the Lord of the Rings movies, anything like that. And they had no idea what that trailer was about. So I kind of started thinking, okay, well, for me going into the trailer, I knew it was second age. I knew it was something new. I knew we would see stuff that was cool. And I wanted to see what the graphics look like. But for people that do not know anything about anything Lord of the Rings, it's like, what the hell was that? Was that just like one of my friends goes, is that just another medieval show? And I'm thinking, my head, no, no, no. Like, this is so much better than that. I'm like, no, this is like, you know, Game of Thrones on steroids, dude. Like, this is the stuff. But uh, so I think that's where the trailer suffered. It's like it should have set up what the show is about more than it did. It was kind of just shot narration, shot, shot, shot. And that's it. But I mean, I was still hyped, man, because it was the first content we've had in a really long time. So I'm, I'm excited for the show. Look, I'm actually I'm, I'm really excited. And once I read a little bit more about, you know, from Vanity Fair about, you know, the core lore isn't going to be messed with. And, um, you know, a little bit more from from J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay, which are the directors, um, they really care about this stuff and they really care about, you know, representing Tolkien's work in the Tolkien estate, the family. It's not even just J.R.R. Tolkien that they're representing. I'd say to an extent, they're really representing Christopher Tolkien as well, which is one of J.R.R. Tolkien's sons who did a ton of work after his father's passing to, to revise and complete a lot of his works. Um, you know, so they're representing people that, you know, created a lore in a world that is like, you know, near and dear to so many people around the world. Um, and I think they really care about it. So I think that this is going to be a good show. And now let's move on into some new things that we've learned about the show. So Elrond, right? We know Elrond from the third age as, you know, an, an elf that is, he is like the wisest guy in Middle Earth that isn't Gandalf, <laughs> yeah. right? Like everybody yeah. goes to him and the dude knows what he's talking about. The dwarves went to... Yeah, he's stoic. He's wise. You know that he's been around since the first age. You know that he actually has an emotional connection to the Dúnedain and the men of Númenor because his brother founded the island and decided to pick the fate of man instead of, of you know, becoming an elf like his brother. He, You can tell that he cares about Middle-earth, right? And that he before he leaves, he wants it to be in a great place. You know, because Now we'll get to see home. all that, dude. And you get to see all that, right? But you get to see the beginning of his of, of him becoming a lord, if you will. So we know that Elrond has been sent on some sort of a diplomatic mission to Khazad-dûm, to the dwarves' uh, stronghold and city. Um, and in this trailer, when Durin, with the axe, is is hammering that stone, he's actually in a contest with Elrond. Oh. Because basically, as we all know, and I'm sure you know this, the dwarves and elves do not like each other. Of course, yeah, yeah. One bit. And there was actually no hard feelings between the dwarves and elves until 
the first a or first age i don't know no years of the trees i think it was years of the trees regardless first or the first age or the age before that called years of the trees the dwarves made a crown um some sort of jewel for um an elvish king i think it was thingle Yes, let me let me make sure of this. But anyway, the dwarves made a, a crown for this elvish king and they went to present it to them in this elvish city. And the dwarves completely turned on the elves. They wanted the jewel back. They wanted the crown back and they actually killed the whole room of elves in, in you know, during this during this ceremony. And then they tried to fight their way out of the city. They finally did. And then on their way home, Baron, which you don't know who this person is. No, I don't. Uh, Bar- Baron is, uh, he's the first man to, to wed an elf. And uh, like the first, my, I'm pretty sure this is the first age. Regardless, there you know, him, and, him and more elves end up tracking down the dwarves and they killed them. All right. So after that, all relations between dwarves and elves, really bad. But the dwarves hold a very key point to the map in Middle Earth. They can, they, you can pass under the Misty Mountains, which completely divide the map in half in a way. You can, you can go right under the Misty Mountains. You can transport your armies under there. You can do trade. You can get to the other side. There are elves living on one side of the mountain and then you know the mountain range and then elves on the other side. So for free commerce, free communication, Elrond is going there to, I guess spark a relationship with the elves and get that going so i found that to be really cool that wasn't actually noted i don't i don't believe that this was noted in the books or or in tolkien's lore it is also said that galadriel had positive relationship relations as at one point with her people in la florian they transported armies under there and whatnot. So I think that's great. And then apparently the way that the dwarves welcome in Elrond is that he needs to basically win or compete in this wow. rock slicing contest with the prince of, of the dwarves there. And I thought I was like, show me that now. Show Let's me go. that. Yesterday. Yeah. Cause you I don't, you don't, it. yeah. You don't get a lot of him in combat in the original movie. So that that's going to be really cool to see that too. Exactly. And so he is basically this. Um, yeah, so it was so by the way, what the, the whole dwarf thing that I was saying, I had it right. It was Thingle, uh, King Thingle in Menegroth was killed by the dwarves uh, in the first age. So let me just say this real quick. Here's why this stuff matters. The first age wasn't that long ago in this TV show. So in the third age in Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit, when people, when characters like Elrond, Gladriel, Gandalf, Aragorn, Legolas, whoever it is talking about the second age, that is like, you know, obviously that's the closest age that just happened to the third age, right? Those are the events that they talk about. In the second age, we're going to be hearing a ton of characters talk about grudges, wars, characters events that happened not that long ago in the first age and in the first age literally one age ago it wasn't even sauron as the chiefest calamity or evil in 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 middle earth it was morgoth they were fight the elves dwarves and men were fighting against an actual god whereas sauron is more of a demigod right anyway well from what i understand too the premiere is going to be 
a narration of the first age. I think it's definitely the first episode, but I believe the first and second. That is true. Very good yeah. point, Jacob. The first and second episodes of this um, upcoming TV show and first season will be about the events in the first age, which I think is absolutely genius. Why is that genius? There is so much that happened in the first age. There are things like Tolkien went into more, almost more detail in the first age than he did the second age, right? There are characters well, but, like but then let me ask you, like, do you think they'll ever do a first age show? And like, because if like well, they if have they to purchase sh- full rights to it, that's right. Well, that might happen soon with Amazon. That better happen. They they will. They will. The, what what's going to end up happening is this show is going to be an absolute hit, and then they're going to go back in time and do the first age. Which why wouldn't they? The yeah. first age is like you can sh- you can literally show the gods intervening and coming over and Dude, literally like that is gold. The gods of you know the which they're called the Valar. The Valar joining the literal ranks of the elves, dwarves, and men trying to fight against Morgoth. Like they are literally in the battle with them. It's cool. Um, anyway. So yeah, we're gonna see you know we're gonna see Elrond on these diplomatic missions, trying to strengthen relationships in Middle Earth because there is a growing fear that there that Sauron has actually that you know Sauron escaped those battles with the gods and ended up fleeing and is actually creating his own dark evil fortress in Mordor, which you know rivals that of what Morgoth had right in the first you know first age year of the trees. So we're gonna see that, and then we also know. That what Galadriel is doing and what she's, you know, what she's, why is she hanging from an ice cliff with people under her climbing up? Like, who are those? Or is she, are those people bad? Probably not. They're probably a part of her group. Apparently what Galadriel is doing is she's hunting down what she believes is the last evil from Morgoth's armies and the, the people, you know, captains and, and specific, you know, evil figures within Morgoth's army that led to a couple of her brothers dying in the first age in those wars. She's hunting those things down, trying to destroy the last evil. I'm sitting there. I'm like, yo, that's sick. Like that, like that is super cool that we get to see something like that. Yeah. And so those are two huge characters right off the bat. That's the Um, juice, dude. That's what we call the the juice. juice. Yes. That's the juice. Like that right there is straight juice. Like I'm all over it um yeah i mean there's a lot to get jazzed about from this trailer um i'm all over it i think it's going to be great uh i do think that there's you know though i will say like you know i let me let me actually let me go into this these are a couple things that i actually did not like from the trailer i'm cool with this arandir character and ismael cruz cordova playing him Uh, you know fine fair enough but Something that Tolkien made very clear in his writings is that the a wedding or or a relationship between an elf and humankind, right, is so unbelievably groundbreaking that it only happened three or four times in the span of ten thousand years. Insane. Right. Obviously, so, so you're going to tell me that the show writers thought it would be a good idea to basically, you know, not only is Ismael like, like, here's my gripe. You're going to introduce the first, um, let's just say, black elf to 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 the world. Make it easy for this guy to transition into this world. Make it easy for him to transition in this world. Why did they not give him long hair? Like, why did he not have like these insanely sick dreadlocks? That would have been smart. 
I'm sorry, that would have been cool. I thought that would have been sick, right? And then on top of that, you're going to make him have a relationship. You're going to make his character have a relationship with a woman, you know, of, you know, obviously of humankind. That's just going to infuriate people. Yeah. Like, make it easy for this character. Make it easy for this character. You know what that means, dude? You know what that means? He's going to be killed. No, I don't. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it, they're definitely not going to kill him off any like between season one, season two, or season three. I, he'll last until yeah. the end. But what yeah. I'm trying to say is, is I'm totally cool with Ismael Cruz Cordova playing enough. I really don't care. But, but the core lore is the fact that there was only a few ever recorded elf and mankind coming together to form a relationship. So why are you going to force this in? All that does is just make people mad. I don't understand. Make it easy for this character to assimilate. They made it easier for the, made, made, they made it much easier for the character that's not playing a, you know, per, a person of color playing a dwarf queen and, you know, they made her look great. Her her backstory is is one why she's singing in why she's singing in that trailer is because she would she would let out these massive chants and singing to find a spot to find the next place in in the misty mountains to dig and find jewels and minerals that sounds like it makes sense like that's that that sounds cool apparently she's also singing in the trailer because there was there was just a mine collapse and a ton of dwarves passed away in the first episode so she's singing yeah, that's powerful stuff. That makes sense. Like it makes yeah. sense. It, like like this character already seems like like in the in, I guess in the world of the L or, or sorry the, in the world of the dwarves it makes sense, right? So I don't know. Like I I just had a gripe with that again. Like I don't have any gripe with the fact that you know Ismael Cruz Cordova isn't white. I don't care if what color he is playing an elf. Like as long as the acting is good, which he's a fantastic actor, and as long as you know his stories fits in with, you know, the rest of what's going on. I don't care. But the fact that he's got like some, you know, lover from, from the humans, I just don't like because Tolkien made it so apparent that it only ever happened a couple of times. And it, it was groundbreaking. Like it was like the whole middle earth knew like, Oh my gosh, this was going on. So I don't know. What are your opinions on that? I guess. On what exactly? Well, the fact that like they're deviating from all right, so like let me let well, me that they're deviating from from the source material you're saying. Well, well, they're deviating from the source material regardless of creating this character because he's not in the source material. But they're going to have to create some characters because there's not literal books written about the second age. There's appendices yeah. and notes written by by um, Tolkien. By Tolkien. So like Arwen and Aragorn becoming. Um, becoming you know husband and wife was groundbreaking oh like, so you're saying from the relationship standpoint and all that from a relationship standpoint. yeah, yeah so yeah, the yeah. first ever one was baron and luthien which this is i'm gonna give you your homework all right go read about the first stage tonight baron baron was a man and he had to prove himself to luthien who was apparently the most beautiful being in all of middle earth he had to prove himself to luthien's father multiple times and the story of Baron and Luthien in the first stage, which I'm not going to give you all the details, was so unbelievably uplifting and powerful that when, when Sauron and Morgoth, you know, let's just say for simplicity's sake, killed Baron and Luthien, the gods gave them a second chance at life. 
wow. and sent them back to Middle Earth to live and to live a new li- live in a life of peace or whatever, which turned out I don't think it was as peaceful. And now, since that love affair was so groundbreaking and was so I guess beautiful, uh, the way that Tolkien writes it, they I guess they live in in uh, Amon, which is the Undying Lands where all the elves go. Like like they got granted another chance to just live together, right? That's so cool. Yeah. And then there's a couple of other ones like in between, which you know you can go read about. But like again, like what I'm saying here is make it easy for this character to assimilate into the show. And I don't think that they're necessarily doing that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, you know, it's like, why do it? There's no reason to do it other than to attempt to appease uh, to, to obvious groups. But uh, listen, I don't have a problem with it if it doesn't mess with the source material. Like, and, and, you know, you say that these relationships are groundbreaking. Like I said, maybe it's a and maybe they don't do this because they're casting the character. They made the casting a big deal. Uh, he's probably not going to survive the whole show. Maybe they don't get to a point in the relationship to where it's official. Maybe it's not like, you know, maybe it's, uh, you know, very short and not notable enough to have ever been mentioned by anyone. Maybe they do nothing notable. Um, so there, there's like stuff you could do to work around the fact that they were never a groundbreaking relationship but at the same time like you said it starts the i mean when when we go on twitter and this relationship starts and we're looking at the discourse online that's going to be one of the major topics that everyone is talking about personally to me um like i just said respect the lore but also i never knew much about the second age so to me everything is new so it wouldn't bother me personally as much as it would someone who does know about that stuff and I would rather cater to the people who do know their stuff and would like to see it portrayed accurately. That's kind of where I stand. Yeah, and look, again, you know, this character, Arandir, might end up, you know, it's it's a forbidden love. You know, he might go back to his, his you know, town, village, or city of, of elves or fortress, if you will, um, wherever, um, you know, his people dwell and live. And he might not be able to speak about it. And it, and it you know, they might not ever actually get married you know who who knows but yeah we'll we'll see again these are all gonna be a bunch of things that people are gonna be glued to the tv watching because this is gonna be i think that this show is gonna end up like it's gonna be bigger than game of thrones oh yeah i did i think it's gonna be bigger than game of thrones i really do and we'll see i mean we'll see but um all right so that's that All right, we are back. We had to take a little bit of an intermission there. Uh, one of us was burning our food on the stove. And we were summoned. Oops. To- now you caught me, CJ. <laughs> no, no worries. Um, all right, so anyway, I think we're going to end this pod with some predictions for the show. Uh, and then we'll be back next week for, for some other things. And we've got, like I said, we got a lot in store. We got a lot planned. Uh, we will have a pod every single week. Uh, leading up to uh, the TV show. And then, you know, we're going to really take off. So if you're a first listener or, um, you know, we really appreciate it. And, you know, please converse with us online. Uh, we're going to be posting tons of Lord of the Rings content all the time. Uh, well, listen anyway. to CJ. Hey, look, yo, go follow at the nerd pod too. People will know whoever follows me from that. That's listening to this dude. I am like the retweeting master for everything on that account. Once I start getting into the interweaves of how everyone converses in the Lord of the Rings community, we're going to be retweeting scoops. We're going to know everything. You know, we're going to know the stuff, dude. Like, we're going to know who to follow, who to listen to, 
all that sort of stuff. So our account's going to be one of the best ones to follow. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, real quick, uh, something that we actually forgot to cover um, and before we get to the predictions is it is announced that this is uh, this TV show has been time compressed. And what that means is, is that all of the key events will feel as if they're happening um, while all these characters are alive. And the reason being is because Tolkien had made the, I guess, let's just say the saga between the elves and Sauron, specifically Celebrimbor, who created these rings, right, uh, with Sauron and was deceived while Sauron made the one ring. Um, Sauron actually went to Austin Ed Hill, which is a, this chief, or let's just say the capital city of Eregion, which is a region of Middle-earth that's right on the doorsteps, basically, of Khazad-dum, the dwarves. Um, this, this, you know, this country within Middle-earth, this area, uh, you know, these elves had very positive relations with the dwarves. Um, these elves were very big in crafting, uh, jewel smithing, um, armories and whatnot. Um, and they actually had, you know, they learned a lot from the dwarves and they ended up helping the dwarves, uh, you know, build some really cool things with Ethildine, which is like the blue, you know, how like outside of the door in the Fellowship of the Ring um, of, of Moria, like Gandalf is trying to find that riddle, how to get in and the door right. ends up blue. That, that door, what, it's, what is transcribed on that door is basically a message that says, I, Caleb, or I, Narvi, which is the dwarf, I, Narvi, built this with my friend, Celebrimbor. Wow. Which is, elf, which is super cool, right? So they had really positive relations. Um, th- that happened in, in the years, you know, let's just say between 1500 and 1650, you know, when the 150 year, you know, right, um, time span. While Asildur, his father Elendil, his brother Anarion, and the, the, the elves of Numenor uh, created an alliance with Gilgalad and the other elves of you know, Middle-earth to you know, siege uh, Mordor and to, just, and to destroy Sauron, that, hap- that is 1,600 years later. So, yeah, yeah <laughs> like yeah. it's it, the whole saga between Celebrimbor and Sauron could be its own two seasons. You know, right. The war of the elves and Sauron and, you know, Celebrimbor literally getting killed by Sauron himself and, and deceived and Celebrimbor and the elves delivering these rings that they didn't realize were, you know, had, you know, evil in them. That could be its own two seasons. Isildur, anything happening in Numenor, at this time is just the, you know, Numenor is there. It's thriving, you know, like it's, it's, you know, there's a ton of characters around this time in Numenor that just don't do anything significant. We just have names. Um, So I understand them doing time compressed where, where it's going to be a little frustrating is I don't know how they're going to bridge the, the war of the elves and Sauron. And then, you know, the war of the last Alliance um, of elves and men. I don't know. I don't know how they're going to bridge that. I have a couple of theories, but I'm going to say that on the next pod. I have a couple of theories on how they're going to link that. Um, anyway, the time compression is confirmed. That's going to happen. I think that's going to really upset some people. Um, and I think it's already. Like what, else, what else do you want them to do? You know, like yeah, what, what's the alternative? Yeah. Do it. I don't know how else. Yeah. You could do it. Like, I don't, I don't know how else you could do it. Um, is what it is. It's happening. Um, all right. So 
some predictions that I have for the show. Um, and then I'll get in, I'll get into, you know, your opinion on these. Um, number one, Galadriel, I think is going to have like a really cool on-screen relationship with the dwarves of, of Casa Doom. Um, her, she has, you know, Tolkien had, you know, given her some dialogue multiple times saying, you know, that the dwarves are the finest warriors in middle earth to pit against, um, evil and Sauron and the orcs, which I thought was, you know, like, like Tolkien putting these little, not, not necessarily Easter eggs, but like really cool facts and whatnot here and there is very neat. Um, I think that the most infuriating, um, let's just say culture or city or group of people for in this show, like in like where you, 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 you watch it, you're just like, you're mad. You're like, I can't believe this is happening. I think it's going to be Numenor. Um, what's going on with Isildur and Elendil. They don't live, they don't necessarily live in the, you know, the capital city, but they are of Royal bloodline. And the current King at the time is a tyrant and he is openly you know, his group of people are, are kind of like openly mocking the gods and are very upset that they don't have immortality and the elves do. So they're trying to shut down relations with the elves uh, and not trade with them anymore. And that is going to be, I think is going to be very frustrating to watch. Um, and then here's a prediction that I have. I think one of the most, let's just say badass parts of the show is going, the, this, by the way, the same king, the tyrant that I just said, R, his name is R. Farazan, okay. king of Numenor. There is a one of the coolest, most badass things I think from what Tolkien has written is Sauron was mocking the men of Numenor in in Mordor, and he was basically spreading rumors and lies amongst Middle Earth with his spies and whatnot that he was saying that he is the king of men, like he is the like I am the king of men. None of their kings can best me. None of their armies will ever reach what my orc armies are. Um, I'm the king of men. Our Farazon, no joke, got every troop on Numenor, got on ships, and landed in Middle Earth and marched through Middle Earth th- through Middle Earth to Mordor. Holy cow! Knocked on the gates of Mordor. The orcs fled at the Numenor army, and Sauron was just standing there and actually surrendered. Like because and our Farazon basically looked at them and said, "Listen, motherfucker, you think that you're the king of men? Look at this!" and laid it out on the table. I thought that was one of the coolest things ever. In That's got to be shown. What to- yeah, it's going to be shown because oh, yeah. here's why: our Farazon decided idiotically that he was going to capture Sauron and take him back to Numenor. Why would you do that? All Sauron's going to do is just spread lies and then somehow. So, so what ends up happening in the books, by the way, Jacob, is our Farazon takes um, Sauron back to Numenor. New- Sauron is a is a prisoner for a short time, and then through his the fact that he's a demigod, he's freaking immortal, and he's been around since the beginning of the world. Yeah, basically corrupts our Farazon's mind. Our Farazon takes him out of prison and ends up giving making Sauron the chief advisor of the throne. And then turns half of Numenor, half of the island, into these people who hate the elves and who want to march on the on the on the realm of the gods to, to demand immortality. And that's why Numenor gets flooded, right? And right. Elendil and his sons lead their clans to Middle Earth 
um, and get off the island before it all happens. What's cool is that like, this is going to be dope to see, but it's got the, that star Wars prequel vibe of a lot of this stuff is just going to end up in tragic endings. And that's awesome to watch on screen tragic for the characters, but that's the type of stuff that we look for in a lot of these shows that those dark tragic moments, the part of that history. When Numenor gets sunk, I'm going to be beyond sad, but it's also going to be one of the most insane television like moments. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like when it gets sunk, it's supposed to be like insane. Like they'll like, obviously the whole world feels the feels like the repercussions of it. I mean, tsunami and tidal waves end up hitting middle earth because they just sunk an island you know the the gods just literally sunk an island to prove a point like you know we gave you this gift of an island triple your lifespan quadruple your lifespan and this is what you're gonna do right so i think that numenor is gonna be like the most infuriating part of the show because you're sitting there you know and you're like god this guy sucks like our Farazon sucks like i just wish elendil was the full king of numenor and you know yeah um so yeah that i think that's gonna be the most infuriating part and i think a dark horse for best character on the show is gonna be gilgalad which is tolkien wrote a lot about gilgalad like he wrote that that poem that samwise gamgee sings in the books about gilgalad is awesome it's like a tearjerker uh gilgalad was a is one of the Noldorine kings um which you can read a little bit more about that the clan of the Naldors of the elves are the most, I shouldn't say troublesome, but the most polarizing out of all of them. Like Galadriel is, is from is Naldor. I guess Elrond you can kind of say is Naldor because he, you know, once he chose to be an elf, that's where he kind of lived amongst them. All of the cheat, like like some of the you know, biggest names of the elves in the first age are from Naldor, and they are always in wars. They are always basically trying to march on you know these evil tyrants and stuff like you know anyway um i think gilgalad like he he is one of the most successful kings of the naldor ever really i mean he he rules for so long i think that his character is gonna be really good and he has a really cool weapon his spear um aglos or i think i don't uh, is that the name of it i don't know i think i'm right um i think that's gonna be cool so those are a couple of little predictions i have way more um and then I guess uh, the last thing I'll say, and then I'll get your opinion on these, is the thing I am most excited to see is Casa Doom and the dwarves. Like I think that seeing that kingdom like actually lit up and not a dark pit, and seeing its yeah, splendor yeah, and its yeah. might. I mean, they literally said like there's been you know there, Tolkien alluded like alluded to the fact that this might have been the greatest realm in Middle Earth at the time of of you know the Second Age. So those are my predictions. What I'm excited for and. Uh, yeah, Jacob, let me know what you think, and then we'll wrap up our first show. Yeah, man, like, I- I'm with you with everything that you're saying. I mean, for me, it's just I want to see the stuff that everyone else is saying is cool about that stuff, you know, because for me, it's all new. So I just want to see everything that that Tolkien wrote come to life in this show. They have the budget to do it. They have the seasons to do it. They can do spinoff shows. They could do so much with this stuff. And so I'm just looking forward to the show so that we could see what they do with it. Can they really you know, pull through on this stuff that they're saying they're going to do. And are they going to show these big battles that you're talking about? I don't want them to leave stuff out like they did in, in some of the movies, right? I mean, you, some of these movies, they did it because they were movies. Well, now that you have these episodic long seasons to do this, you have opportunities for spinoff shows. You can cover literally everything that you want to 
in, in, you know, a, a feasible way within five seasons or other shows. So I'm looking forward to that. And uh, yeah, like that's pretty much my thing, man. Like I'm just looking for it to be accurate to the source material. I don't like when things get remade and they're not faithful. And it goes back to what Peter Jackson said in an interview, uh, I'd be 10, 15 years ago. He said he treats Tolkien's work like history, like it's actual real history. And I think that's the only way that you can do it. Um, so yeah, man, we'll see. I, I'm really looking forward to the show overall. Yep. I, 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 com- I totally agree. I actually recently saw that, that Peter Jackson quote, which I've seen it before, but it's refreshing to see it again. Um, yeah, like I said, look, I'm really excited and I'm excited that you and I are doing this and, uh, I appreciate everybody following us on this journey and, um, yeah, leave a, leave a like, leave a comment on Twitter. Uh, and yeah, if you want to be featured on the show or if you want to just chat with us, please let us know. We're, we're always, we're always down. So that's all for Jacob and I for the first episode of the One Pod to Rule Them All. Uh, cue the music. See you later. Peace.